1: While you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Clients. Our first conversation up on the show today is regarding a topic that uh, we've talked about frequently on Get Down to Business, and that's staff retention. It's an urgent issue as turnover rates have increased experienced an uptick of 57%. Joining me to talk on the topic is Robert J. Kohlhepp. Um Bob, welcome to the program. I know uh, your new book, Building a Better Organization, is out, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Shalom. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you have a very impressive career. You joined Cintas Corporation, in 1967 as, as controller. Not many people can say uh, a career of 50 plus years, which is really what our conversation is all about. So, so Bob, how did you end up at Cintas and why did you stay?
0: Well, I ended up at Cintas because the founder, a gentleman named Dick Farmer, contacted me when I was working as a CPA in a CPA firm. And uh, he convinced me to come out and talk to him uh, about joining his company. It was very small at the time, had sales of about a million uh, and a half dollars. And he uh, had a vision to build the company into a national company and told me that if I helped him get that done, uh, he would help me share in that success. And uh, so I agreed to go to work there and it worked out quite well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, over that career of 50 years, you've been in virtually every leadership position, again, starting as controller, then ending up as general manager, vice president, treasurer, executive vice president, president, CEO, vice chair, and board chair. And then finally, you decided to uh, retire sort of in 2016. Um, but I know that you've stayed busy through writing the book, building a better organization and staying involved in many nonprofit and university boards. So um, Bob, tell us, what is uh, what is going on in the world right now with uh, employer retention?
0: Well, uh, I think one of the problems is the, uh, and there's lots of reasons why I think that exists, but you really have uh, employers bidding and trying to outbid uh, other employers for their, their people. Uh, and so when you have uh, demand exceeding supply, wages go up and And uh, I think that is a lot to do with it. I think uh, working away from home makes it more difficult for the employer to create the kind of relationship with the employee that they would like to, because they rarely see them face to face. Uh, I think that's another factor. But I think other factors too is that uh, some management teams just don't know how to uh, hire people that are compatible with their organization and values. Hire the wrong people, and uh, and then frequently that doesn't work out. So I th- I think it's a combination of all those things.
1: Absolutely, and again, I'm chatting with the author of Building a Better Organization, Bob Kolhep And uh, Bob, I know in your book, we're not going to share all of the secrets, but you talk about uh, how to uh, how to instill the elements of an effective corporate culture across the organization. And I should add that I know many of our listeners are small business owners, are entrepreneurs. But I know, uh, Bob, you argue that there are four essentials, um, which start with determining your principal objective. Can we talk a little bit about that?
0: Yes, uh, there are four parts of our culture. Uh, we made the decision many years ago to carefully define and write down what our culture was, because every organization has a culture. I don't. If you want to talk about your family or your school that you went to, or the business that you work for, or organization you work for, there's a culture there. Uh, Very few organizations take the time to define what that culture is. Our our culture consisted of four things. Uh, uh, First of all, our principal objective, uh, the, the the mission statement, so to speak, that drove every major decision we made. Uh, secondly, was our corporate character, adjectives and phrases that described what it was like to work for us, what values we had, how, how we felt about customers, how we felt about employees who we call partners. Uh, third part was our management system, which was defining recurring problems in the form of a written policy and procedure and the last part was business ethics guidance to our people as to uh, how to do the right thing how to think about decisions they were going to make from an ethical standpoint and uh and those four components made up our our culture
1: Fantastic. So uh, you have uh, you, you have talked about uh, in the book how to lead in a way that effectively earns the trust and respect of staff. And I'm, I'm particularly fascinated on that topic um, because I believe it ultimately it is leadership. And it doesn't matter whether it's one person or one thousand people. Ultimately, the, the, again, as we've been saying, those same principles apply. So, Bob, I mean, using you as an example and using the examples that you write about in the book on building a better organization, what are some of those uh, tips and tricks and maybe homework assignments that you want to leave our listeners with?
0: Well, I think you have to, uh, earn trust with people when people first come to work for you, they don't know you well, they're feeling out your, you and your relationship with them. And so you have to be, I think the the foundation is honesty and integrity, being straight with people, telling them the truth. Uh, sometimes things, maybe they don't want to hear, uh, but, uh, Uh, Being honest and direct with people. I think also providing opportunity. People want an opportunity to grow and advance in any organization they're with. with. Uh, I think thirdly, uh, listening to the people, getting their input, making them feel part of the organization. A feeling of belonging is a very important need that everyone has. And so if the management team lets people know, we want to know what you think, we care about your opinion, doesn't mean we always agree with you, but we respect your opinion and get feedback from people. I used to always say to people, you know, when you have a problem, go talk to the people doing the work. The people doing the work always know what the problem is. They usually know how to fix it. But too often managers, because they have the title of manager, or they have a college degree, think they know more than the people doing the work. They do not. And you have to have the uh, uh, empathy to be able to talk to those people and get their input. I think if you do those things as well as paying people uh, competitively, uh, you'll do fine in retaining people
1: absolutely and uh, again uh bob i've uh, i've argued for a long time both in my uh, own ventures but certainly on this program that uh that new hires and that first impression is that most important moment because i know as you talk about in the book uh you need to ensure that those new hires are a cultural fit and that uh, they're off to a good start. And especially now, where, as we've said, that uh, that statistic of uh, there are turnover rates of uh, over 57 percent. Um, that's that's huge. So what are some of the things that you would recommend um, in the onboarding process to uh, to prevent against that uh, very, very high level of turnover?
0: Well, I think uh before you even onboard them, the most important thing is that you meticulously hire. Uh, and that by that, I mean that you hire people who are not only capable of doing the job, but hire people who are compatible with your organization. And that's why it's so important to document your culture so that you can show it to a prospective employee and assess whether or not they're going to be compatible with it. And they can do the same with you. Too often you hire people that are not compatible and you end up losing them because uh, you let them go or they're just not happy. But I think once you've, hi- once you've hired them, it's very important to stay close to them, uh, give them performance reviews, give them feedback, give them training, adequate training so they know how to do the job and stay very close to them, particularly during that first, I would say year uh, to be sure they're comfortable and if they have any issues that you can talk about them and resolve them.
1: Absolutely. Again, I've been chatting with Bob Colehub who, uh, has uh, served in virtually every leadership capacity at uh, the syntest Corporation, including uh, as the retired uh, chairman, um, but over a 50-year career. So he certainly knows a thing or two about uh, employee retention and uh, what it takes to build a better organization, which is the name of his new book. So, Bob, I want to make sure as we come to a close in our conversation that our listeners know where they can purchase, copy of your book, learn more about you, and perhaps schedule a time to connect. Well, I have a website
0: called com, and that gives you information about all of that. Uh, You can purchase the book at Amazon, at uh, Barnes & Noble, or at Pathway, uh, and uh, it's available today. Uh, So uh, I, I enjoy writing the book. It's my way of sort of giving back to others.
1: Well, you certainly have, and again, there's uh, we've only scratched the surface, and there's so much more that's out there, and some very, very impressive uh, accolades from uh, many executives that are all posted on the website, uh, too numerous to list over here. But all I can leave you with is check out the book. The website again is robertkohlep.com, robert k o h l h e p p dot com. Uh, check it out, and you could buy Build a Better Organization wherever you're favorite books are sold we are going to squeeze in a very quick break over here on get down to business and when we return i'll be joined by uh, andrea castle uh, here on get down to business we've got a great lineup in store for you so get on my website shalomkline.com that's where you download the past eight plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship so don't touch that dial we'll be right back Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. So I've been excited for this conversation, and as promised, I'm joined by Andrea Castle, who is a data curator at uh, Tesla Government uh, Inc. And uh, Andrea has a very impressive background. We were just talking offline for a moment of uh, some of our uh, shared uh, shared uh, memories in uh, in the army. I know Andrea, you served in the U.S. Army as an Arabic linguist from 2001 through 2008, deployed twice, and have been involved in so many initiatives andrea it's a pleasure to have you on the program
2: thanks for having me it's exciting to be here today
1: absolutely so andrea let's talk about you let's talk about your background and uh, what you do at uh at tesla government uh can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself
2: yeah my name is andrea castle and as you said i'm a data curator at tesla government um you know with the 20th anniversary of 9 11 just happening recently i was reminded (laughs) A lot of how I got into this business. Um, I actually woke up at home on nine eleven. You know, nine days out from going to basic training, and you know, as you can imagine, my life uh, changed from there. Um, you know, got selected to be an Arabic linguist and deployed twice to Iraq. And since that time, um, I got out of the military in two thousand eight. Um, since then, I have continued to serve the military and government, working with them in a number of different areas and uh, different programs. So, you know, my background has really been shaped by um, what I, what I experienced in the army.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's funny. Uh, we're having this conversation it was literally just days ago that I was having a, uh, an army conversation about knowledge management. We call the job uh, KM. Uh, and I know that that's something that, uh, that, that you know a thing or two about. So I want to talk about it. I want to talk about this, this topic. Um, but you you work on many uh, government projects, so uh, let's start with that knowledge management system and how it relates to businesses, in addition to government and military work.
2: Well, I think that the problem of knowledge management is really a problem that everyone has, but you often see it in the government and the military. Um, you know, in our work, we see. That there are many different organizations and groups doing the same things. And oftentimes they don't realize who else is doing them. So I think one thing that we try to focus on with our knowledge management is really collaboration and um, helping the government sort of achieve what you know their end state is through their knowledge management platform and ensuring that all the parties have access and can contribute to that knowledge management platform. I think what we see often is you have just a disarray of documents, people storing things for the sake of storing things, not you know, knowing where to find things. So that collaboration aspect is huge, I would say, uh, with, our, with our solutions.
1: Absolutely. And I was about to ask the question of what are some of the signs that an organization needs a better system for knowledge management? And I think you just mentioned that when you have uh, lots of information, but you're not sure what you're doing with it and, and where it's going and what it, what it's serving a purpose. But are there other uh, things that you've seen uh, across your, uh, again, and I, I love the title, and we're going to talk more about that data curator title. Um, what are some of the things, the horror stories that, that you've discovered, Andrea?
2: Well, I think the worst is when you see um, people ap- actually stepping on each other's toes because they're implementing programs on top of each other. And, um, you know, with our military background, I think we can both relate. We have seen some of that going on. And especially when you're talking about aid ag- cross agency work um, in the government. A lot of times, uh, you know, one group will be doing something and another one is trying to do maybe something similar, but with a different mission Endpoint in mind. Um, so, what we really try to do is work across those agencies, and our company actually brings in a lot of great folks who have experience with, you know, NGOs and different agencies in the government, DoD, State Department, and so forth. We bring all those people together to sort of speak the language and get, um, you know, user adoption, get people to buy in, and our process for doing that is is called Mission Connect. And you know, a lot of times with the military, there's this sort of, if you build it, they will come approach to software development and program implementation. Um, We know that that does not work. And so what we do is we, we implement our mission connect strategy, which is really focused on user adoption. We have a process for bringing people in and getting them to um, use the software that's available, whatever that might be. Um, We have a platform, but we also have fallen in on other uh, companies and other um, agencies, platforms to do knowledge management. but really that that mindset of, you know, being tool agnostic, what do you need to do to get the mission done? And um, you know, I think we've shown um, a lot of success in that area.
1: Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Andrea Castle, data curator at Tesla Government. And uh, Andrea has 15 more than 15 years of experience supporting U.S. government and military clients. And uh, we're talking about some of the areas of knowledge management and uh sort of breaking down uh, some of the information-sharing barriers and uh, building collaborative teams. So, Andrea, uh, I am curious. Um, right now, we are actually having this conversation remotely. Ordinarily, uh, I love having folks in, in studio. I know that uh, companies, organizations, and government agencies and military entities are, uh, are, have adapted very, very quickly on uh, that idea of remote and telework. So what has that impact been on uh, government work and projects?
2: Well, what I've seen in the last uh, year and a half has really been remarkable. I would say there's been a huge uh, step forward um, in embracing technologies that before the government would have never thought of using. And I think a push to do um, what works, you know, there is, of course, always the concern with security. And I think that that is a very valid concern. But, you know, focus on, you know, who can we work with and what way can we work and less focus on Let's get people into the office or, you know, we're only working with the people that we can see uh, around us. So I I've seen a huge step forward in adoption of new technologies to get um, work done. And I think it's to the credit of the government and the military that they've been so flexible uh, with that
1: absolutely and there's always uh, those positions that uh and those responsibilities that you have to do uh, in person but uh definitely i've seen it uh first hand and i know you have as well so shifting gears and talking about uh call it project management, um, which I know is a big piece of where, again, knowledge management is so useful. When you have the information, when you have the data, you're able to hopefully execute on that project. And the same is true both in government as well as in the private sector. So, uh, Andrea, as a data curator, again, at Tesla Government, you, uh, you've you seen a lot of projects and you've seen a lot of data. What are some of the advice that you would share with our listeners on getting a project done on time and on budget?
2: Well, I think having a common schema, getting all the the stakeholders together, and to buy into the process first of all is important before you even get started. And and having a schema uh, for your data, what are you going to store? Um, what is it going to look like? How are you going to tag it? But most importantly, what decisions does that information impact? Um, you don't want to just collect things for the sake of collecting things. Uh, <laughs> we see that a lot where you know you just end up with mounds of of stuff and 20 versions of the same document you want to make sure that whatever it is that you're going to be using your knowledge management platform that that data that you're collecting feeds decisions and then you know sometimes you might need to start at the end What decisions are you going to be making? What information do you need to make those decisions? So it takes key steps in the beginning, working with um, mission stakeholders to understand what is it that we need? How are we going to answer those questions? Um, And we've uh, done that with a lot of different groups and agencies over the years
1: absolutely again chatting with Andrea Castle at Tesla government we've been talking about knowledge management project management remote and telework and its impact on uh, on work and projects um, which is uh, really important so andrea we've only scratched the surface I know that there's so much more that you do and uh, that uh, that in your role as data curator I know that you are involved in but andrea we are just about out of time and I want to make sure our listeners know where they can learn more about uh, the important projects you've been working on and learn more about your team. How can people uh, get in touch to, uh, to learn more?
2: Well, I think the best place to go is teslagov.com. You can read all about our company and what we're doing and working on. And we have a blog on our website. So I periodically will post uh, my thoughts and insights there. So you can check me out there.
1: Absolutely. Well, Andrea, I appreciate you coming on the program and uh, looking forward to a, Staying in touch, and uh, as always, of course, thank you for uh, your service and uh, continued service. Uh, you continue to, uh, fortunately, have uh, a lot of interaction with uh, again government, military, and so on. So appreciate you uh, again coming on. We're going to squeeze in a quick break, some headlines, uh, and uh, pay the bills over here, and get down to business. When we return, we've got more advice, content, and information. I'll uh, be joined by Alex Greenberg, uh, another uh, another exciting entrepreneurial guest. So uh, you're listening to Get Down to Business. Get on my website, Shalom And be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share on your favorite podcast app. Um, That way you won't miss a single episode. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. Be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Arabali from HealthPlanChicago.com. He is an independent uh, agent helping uh, all of our listeners, have helped so many of our listeners in, uh, saving money on health insurance costs and understanding the complexities of the Affordable Care Act and, uh, all health insurance needs. So, uh, we've still got some great conversations in store for you on, uh, on Get Down to Business. But I wanted to take a quick break and, uh, and talk about some Zoom meeting etiquette and maybe this somewhat influenced, uh, not naming names over here, but, uh, by, uh, by some folks that I've had meetings with recently. I figured, you know, with so many Online classes, meetings, working remotely. There are many people that are trying to learn how to use Zoom video conferences on the fly. So I wanted to talk, and obviously, we're, uh, we're talking to you on the radio, so it's a little challenging to show you the tips and tricks uh, visually, um, but there are many things that you can know. Whether you own a business or you're participating in meetings, it's important to understand how to use Zoom or, frankly, any other uh, video platform uh, successfully. So you have to know your options, meeting versus webinar. Meetings and webinars, they offer similar features, functionality, but there are some key differences. Use meetings only for collaborative events, with all participants being able to screen share, turn on their video audio, see who else is in attendance. Webinars are designed so that the host and any designated panelists can share their their video, audio, and screen with view-only attendees. And attendees have the ability to interact via Q&A, chat, and answer polling questions. The host can also unmute the attendees. But let me mention this. Don't make private meetings public. Whenever possible, distribute your Zoom meeting link only to those individuals who will be attending your class or meeting. If you share your meeting link on social media or other public platforms, anybody who sees the link will be able to join your meeting unless you set a password for the meeting and share that privately with attendees. That includes trolls. And yes, I have been trolled on meetings in the past who can then share or post inappropriate or offensive material. There's a term for that. It's called Zoom bombing. You also require meeting attendees to sign in with their uh, designated, let's say, work account, their uh, their uh, getdowntobusiness.com account to join your meeting. Although this feature is optional, uh, I'd recommend that you use it if you have an internal organization, uh, just so you can uh, keep those uh, those. Zoom bombings to a minimal. But keep in mind, if something does happen, report it to Zoom. That way, uh, way Zoom can block and disable those folks. Manage your screen sharing very, very carefully. Only hosts and co-hosts have the ability to share their screen by default. um, But uh, hosts can enable screen sharing for participants on a per meeting basis or change settings to enable participant screen sharing by default for all meetings. How you do that is you click the security icon in the meeting host toolbar to easily enable and disable screen sharing and other common security settings from within an active meeting. And speaking of managing your meetings, I want to talk for a few minutes about managing your participants. You could allow only signed in users to join. So keep in mind, most of us have Zoom accounts, um, but there are those that sometimes we'll, uh, we'll just log in as a guest. That might be great if it's a webinar, but if it's a meeting, you may want to ensure that everybody actually has an account. You can lock the meeting. You can lock a Zoom meeting that's in progress that prevents new participants from joining, even if they have the meeting ID and password. It's like closing the door, slamming it shut, locking the door, saying you missed the start of the meeting. You can't make it in. You can set a meeting password, and that option requires attendees to enter a password that you provide before they can join mm-hmm. the Meeting. Requiring your password makes it easier to share the meeting ID publicly, for example, on Twitter, because you could set the meeting password privately, for example, via email or a Twitter DN. You can remove unwanted or disruptive participants. You just go to the participants menu, hover over a participant's name, and click remove. They won't be able to rejoin unless you allow them to do so. Um, you can also put people in a waiting room. I do that sometimes. Sometimes I'm using a personal meeting room. And I've got people coming in and out, and I want to have a private conversations. Sometimes I'll move people into a meeting room. You can also disable video, and that's important. We're going to uh, spend an entire segment on this one of these weeks talking about the when video is appropriate or not appropriate. I am not a fan of every company are uh, requiring everybody to be on video all the time in meetings, that can become really, really draining and stressful. So uh, use that feature of video appropriately and at the right time. Mute participants. You can mute or unmute individual participants or all participants at once. This allows you to block unwanted, distracting, or inappropriate noise to mute everyone, you just go into manage participants and click mute all. You can also enable mute upon entry in your settings to keep noise at a minimum during large classes or meetings. And again, uh, we are chatting about some Zoom best practices. And uh, and I am focusing particularly on Zoom because that is the primary tool that many companies that I know of have been utilizing. But I know that uh, the same is true in Microsoft Teams, Skype. Almost all of these platforms have some of the same features and techniques. You could disable private chat. You could turn off file transfer. There are so many different things. But again, the, the major ones that I would recommend is uh, muting microphones, being mindful of the background noise, positioning your camera properly. Make sure if you're using a web camera, put in a stable position, don't bounce around with it. Limit the distractions. And yes, it could be tempting to multitask um, and just sort of go with the fly because you're working from home. But uh, yes, prepare as much as possible. So I hope all these uh, tips, advice, Information is helpful. Um, be sure to get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download more of the tips that we post every week on the show, all about small business, and jobs, and entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, again, if you have some tips, I would welcome you to get on my website, shalomkline.com. You could contact me through the website as well and share what's been working for you. I want to hear about it from our listeners. Coming up after the break, I'll be joined by Alex Greenberg, who is the uh, who is the CEO and founder of Art Sugar? Uh, and we'll be ta- chatting all about her art and her focus on philanthropy. Again, get on my website, shalomkline.com, and download our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So we've had uh, we've had quite a few uh, fun conversations already, and I've been excited for this conversation with Alex Greenberg, the fine artist and female founder and CEO of Art Sugar. So Alex, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Absolutely. So I want to talk about your background, because your background very much led to what you are doing um, right now, which is just so impressive, so philanthropic, and I, I can't wait to share it with all of our listeners. So Alex, tell our listeners a little bit about your uh, about your background in education.
3: Sure. Um, well, born and raised in New York City, I was um, you know, infiltrated by the art world and culture, I went to college for fine art. I went to Cornell and I was a painting major, and then I got my art history master's from Christie's, which is an auction house. And then I worked in the, in the art world for eight years in New York before found, uh, starting Art Sugar in 2017. Um, it's almost four years since you know the official start date. I did you know do some. Uh, side hustling while I was working at a museum, but i didn't you know fully go all in until um, October two thousand and
1: seventeen okay absolutely and i uh, I know that you did have that call it traditional art career you've worked at uh, galleries and and all sorts of uh, always involved in some important stuff, but um it was uh, a family story that um, resulted. In uh, in you scaling up your business uh, art sugar. So let's talk about that family side of things. Uh, Alex, tell us a little bit about uh, about your family and in particular your grandmother.
3: Yes. So I started. I was at just to backtrack a little. I my specialty was portraiture when I was in college and. For several years, I took a really long break from drawing or painting anything, and then I was at this museum. I started getting commissions for portraits because one person saw me doing it. Um, so I had this like little like side hustle, and I had that for like two years. And I oh, donating part of the proceeds was always part of you know taking money from anyone because when someone offered to me, I was like, "This feels weird. I've never taken money from my artwork before." Um, And I need to give back. But my grandma got very sick with pancreatic cancer, which is, you know, obviously a horrible, horrible disease, terrible way to go. And she passed away in nine months after she got the diagnosis. And I saw my grandma four days a week. We She grew up. I mean, I grew up around the corner from her in New York. My mom grew up in New York. My grandma and grandpa live right next door. And it was Just like a major wake up call for me, like, wow, life is short. And what am I doing? And it sort of impelled me to be like, why am I at this nine to five? I don't fully love. And let's like really try to scale this, this, you know, project I've been working as a side hustle for so many years. So that's really what pushed me, you know, over the edge or what inspired me to like go all in. And one of the first charities I worked with was an orga- is an organization called code purple. Now um, it's reinventing the way, or it's trying to reinvent the way that pancreatic cancer is approached by going to government and trying to advocate for more funding um, because of the way you know, certain cancers are funded and how money is allocated. And um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, it, long does. it
1: does. It yeah. does. No, it's so uh, so impressive and so important what you're doing. And uh, again, we're going to talk more about the uh, uh, sort of what uh, what Art Sugar does, but uh, perhaps more importantly, I uh, I do want to stay on that theme of talking about. Uh, your uh, your your partners because I know that Art Sugar donates proceeds from every purchase to many notable uh, charities and uh, and there's a lot up on your website which uh, certainly uh, we're going to send uh, folks to in just a few minutes but let's talk about some of those partners the Trevor Project Moms for Moms Girl Wonder I mean you're involved in some some great uh, some great uh, causes so art artists and art lovers can give back with every purchase so tell us about your relationship with those organizations.
3: So my relationship with organizations is very different for each one. The smaller organizations, such as Girl Wonder, I met the founder of that organization on Instagram, actually. And we really hit it off. Um, She's a female founder, too. And we partnered with a few, I think, a few artists to give back to that organization, which provides career counseling for... uh, young women of color and it's a great organization. And I love working with smaller organizations that really like need funding rather than like the major corporate organizations, which also need funding, but we're not going to make so much of a dent with them. So I just really like the kind of more personalized, you know, relationships with the smaller organizations, though we give back to larger ones as well. Of course, you know, Trevor project being one of them. And I like that we work with a lot of different Kind of causes because certain causes matter to certain people more than others. And my goal with this entire company was to democratize the way that art is purchased, but it's also democratizing the way, you know, your charitable gifting as well, right? So everyone has different ways of giving back and different causes they believe in or that are important to them.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, it's awesome because, uh, because listeners can, uh, of course get on your, uh, on your website, uh, purchase some incredible, incredible uh, pieces of art um, while supporting some great projects and great initiatives. And uh, Andrea, it's uh, it's awesome what you're doing. And I'm on your website right now, looking at the art, the decor, and uh, folks can uh, subscribe on the website, which again is artsugar.co. But we are not done because we have barely scratched the surface over here in talking about. The, uh, the details of your uh, of your uh, organization of Art Sugar. So we've got to squeeze in a very quick break. Alex uh, will join us uh, in just a moment when we return on get down to business. The show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I am uh, continuing my conversation with Alex Greenberg, the fine artist and female founder and CEO of Art Sugar. Uh, again, Art Sugar is the philanthropy and Instagram-driven re- uh, retailer offering an exclusive curated assortment of art home goods from the most coveted contemporary artists on Instagram, uh, uniquely making elevated art accessible to millennials. And uh, we've been talking about the philanthropy and how every uh, proceeds from every purchase goes to notable charities, but. Uh, Alex, we have not yet uh, really uh, scratched the surface on the uh, on the specifics of what uh, our listeners can find on your website, artsugar.co. You've got some great art. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the inspirations over here.
3: Sure. Uh, I work with artists around the world, and I source mainly through Instagram, and they're all creating really, really cool things, but they don't necessarily want to manage the business business behind selling the art. So we work with them with exclusive designs to the art Sugar platform, sell their art and try to keep things at a relatively um, accessible price point because, again, my goal was to is to democratize. You know, art art should be for everyone, and it doesn't only have to be to the for, to the one percent or the tippity top of the one percent of the world. So, you know, really informed by my background in the really traditional fine art world, I wanted to do something different um, with accessible art that you don't necessarily get from like a big box chain, where you may get something really affordable, but it's not you know trendier on the pulse of anything necessarily.
1: And unlike Instagram, um, what I love about your, uh, about your, uh, your gallery your online gallery is that you are able to um, search very, very easily by, uh, by category, by theme. So let's say you love rainbows, you love smileys, you have the ability to sort of uh, search the wall art by that theme. And there are some really, really uh, beautiful pieces of art. And again, you're, you're supporting uh, artists from around the world. So uh, Alex, um, <laughs> I, it's got to be fun sourcing uh, sourcing art through Instagram. Uh, have you met some uh, interesting people?
3: And everyone's interesting for sure. I mean, the world has just completely opened up with the use of these technologies and made it so much easier to interact and you know, have a relationship with people you know around the world. So definitely met interesting people. Some. I've met in person. Some I have not, but I've spent a ton of time on the phone, on text, on email with them. And, um, it's just, it's really cool. It's exciting.
1: It is really cool. It is really cool. So, uh, Alex, we are almost out of time, but I want to make sure our listeners know where they can, uh, find you online on Instagram and, uh, and what's coming up and exciting. I know you've got the, uh, with uh, some, some changes on your website, um, and I know that uh, everybody can subscribe. So uh, tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch.
3: Sure. Well, you can visit us on the website, artsugar.co. There's a chat bubble at the bottom right if you want to chat. Um, you can also DM us, artsugar.co, on Instagram and follow us there. And we have Facebook as well. Facebook is ArtSugarco. And come say hi. It's usually me answering, or it's uh, my first employee ever to just started a month ago. Her name is Rowie. So it's one of us. And we have some cool collaborations coming up. A lot of great things for our holiday, including Friday. We're launching our first ever fashion accessory collaboration with another female founder, and very excited about that as well.
1: <laughs> a lot to be excited about. Again, I've been chatting with Alex Greenberg, uh, the founder, CEO of Art Sugar. Uh Check out the website artsugar.co. And uh, we've had a great conversation today with some fantastic entrepreneurs, leaders, and uh, people uh, involved in giving back. And uh, with that, that's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Right here on AM560, The Answer. But until then, make sure you get on my website, shalomkline.com, and find us on your favorite podcast app, Apple, Spotify, Google, really anywhere where podcasts can be found. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share. It makes it easier for people to find the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. So to success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next week.